Hey, Joel here. We are, uh, well, this is Dining Around, and we are in Sonoma County today. And for those of you who are across the nation listening, you'll know Sonoma County for some of its amazing products that you'll find all around or when you visit this region for the wineries, for the olive oil, just for the gorgeous destination that it is. But for those of you in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know Sonoma County as a place where things are raised and grown, where products come from that bring just that whole idea of farmstead and community to the table. And as a part of this experience, or my experience, I thought I'd bring to the table um, Clover, which is a dairy of three generations located in Sonoma. And we have with us Marcus Benedetti. He is the third generation President and CEO Marcus, thanks for having us here at Clover. Oh, I'm thrilled. It's great to be talking with you today. So tell us a little bit about the company because I mentioned that you're third generation. This is a company that has deep, deep roots in the community. Uh, how did it come about? How did you bring it to light or your family bring it to light? It started with my grandfather. He was that classic World War II generation that couldn't wait to start a life um, after surviving the war. And he uh, was Italian. Um, and most of the dairies up here in the North Bay, a lot of them at that time were Italian-only speaking families. Wow. So the co-op that was collectively owned by all those dairies hired him to be the liaison. And the largest fire in Petaluma's history burned down. And that was a bottling plant for that co-op. He asked the board of directors if he could buy the name Clover, and he founded Clover Dairy as we know it. So it was all started as a community-based organization with, with farmers around Sonoma County and beyond bringing their product to light. Is it similar in, in, in the way that there are farming families with whom you have long-term contracts? You know, it's ironic that a lot of the owners of the co-op are now shipping their milk to Clover today. So many of them are going on their fourth, if not their fifth generations. You'll recognize places like McClure Beach, mm -hmm. Kehoe Beach, when you go out to Point Reyes, those are organic shippers that bring their milk directly to us. That's brilliant. And that way we as consumers in the Bay Area and beyond can certainly find your products um, but it is really a product of what's going on in the community in general. Well, that's our whole goal is to reconnect urban consumers back to where their food comes from. I mean, they come up here and they uh, love the rolling hills dotted with Holstein cows. Well, that's just not an aesthetic benefit that's created for, you know, tourists. These are living, <laughs> breathing, you know, family farms. Sorry, it's like, what time do you, what time do you let the cows out? Right. I grew up in Niagara, Canada. They, the people would ask, what time do you turn the Niagara Falls on? I'm exactly. Like, it's on all the... Time. Right after brunch for the <laughs> tourists is when they let them out. <laughs> and then we send them back in for round two a little bit later on when the next group right. of buses come. No, So that commitment to organic and that commitment to moving forward with that movement, I'm sure when the farming community began or when these dairies were uh, first in business, it was they would have been considered organic and they would have been considered all of those local levels. But as things have changed, uh, your company has moved toward a non-GMO product. What would that mean to the consumer and what does that mean to the farmer? It's a great question. You know, most half of our farms are organic, uh, half are traditional. And uh, we recognize that there is such a big a gap in price for folks that frankly can't afford organics but uh, want a GMO free alternative mm -hmm. in their milk supply. So for us, it was um, just a natural evolution of addressing some of the thornier issues with dairy. Animal welfare, how is a cow being treated that's so often overlooked in this whole equation? Well, we became endorsed by the American Humane Association to kind of mitigate those concerns. But, but what about the GMO um, issue in this whole thing? So we w were tackling it with our traditional or conventional dairy families, if you will. 
And really, it's about finding an alternative source of feed, a okay. GMO-free uh, feed source for our dairies. We think it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, people can get mirrored down in the debate about the science and about you know what GMOs are and what the health impacts may or may not occur. For us, it's really basic. We, we know that our consumers demand an alternative to the status quo. Mm -hmm. And to this point, no dairy has done that. No dairy has given that to them. No dairy has frankly listened to their hopes in, the, in a GMO-free dairy alternative. So. So for us, really, our guiding light are are our consumers. Um, you know, you, you start that uh, relationship with them, and you start tackling some of the thornier issues, and then it's it, it's game on. Well, now you need to go to the end and and mitigate all of our fears and address all of our hopes in the food supply. So this is just a natural extension of that progression. And it is consumer driven, and I think that that's an interesting aspect of it. People have said. I would like this, or we would prefer this. Let's let's you know look for it or ask for it. And as a company dealing with so many families, early in the morning when they have breakfast, and later on in the evening when they're drinking a glass of milk, um, having that relationship and trust in the company is so incredibly important because we look to those brands and we look to a company such as yours to be able to provide that. Well, I think you know the key is having the relationship. Um, built on trust, to your point. And then it's one thing to, to hear it, that's another thing to do it. And, and so we're small, you know, we are family owned, our dairy families are small, and they're, like I mentioned, fourth, fifth generation. So collectively, we're able to make decisions based on a generational consideration, not a quarterly earnings kind of deadline. And so this is a hard subject. It's not, it wasn't easy to do. Mm -hmm. And the politics and the vitriol, uh, you know, they're ripe. And that was not our attempt to get into that fray. <laughs> it was really to just simply give consumers an alternative choice. Mm -hmm. Was it, uh, is it difficult or was it difficult to find non-GMO feed? Or is that something that is, is a different conversation totally? Uh, you know, ironically, it exists. And a lot of it goes to exports, you know, supporting markets that have a GMO. In Europe. In Europe. I mean, the uh, whole EU is, is non-GMO. That's exactly right. And the feed stuff that's grown on the West Coast here primarily is for export to Japan. So there's already a local feed source that we weren't utilizing in our dairy system. So that part was relatively easy. Hmm. All right. So what? Um, those, are the, those are the two important things, absolutely. So let's talk about milk in general. Is there a seasonal difference when it comes to milk? We're talking about here in California, now that there is a drought, also there, is this, there are the seasons as well. I know that there's a seasonal difference when it comes to uh, honey and other products, but it, when it comes to having milk uh, in a progression, do you find that there's a difference? Well, there is, primarily uh, in the springtime. So when they're eating mostly green grasses, you'll see the biggest difference, and it's really uh, noticeable in the cream, the, he the heavy whipping cream. It takes on, and the butter, it takes on a more yellowish tinge, and that's really from the grass. But um, the rest of the time, they eat things like alfalfa and corn and soybean and almond holes, and it's each dairy family's kind of unique goulash, if you will. It's like, what is that optimum nutritional mix for the health of their cows? And they, they fiercely guard those secrets. They work with their nutritionists. Um, but the no, seasonality, awesome. it, it, it's really more complicated than people think. It's mm -hmm. not just turning the cow out for, for grass. There's a whole lot of other things that go into it. But seasonality, you'll definitely notice in the springtime. Yeah, and, as a, and as a kid growing up on a farm, when I was a kid growing up on a farm, I just... I, I always remember the the incredible amount of attention that my parents and my grandparents and our neighbors uh, paid to the livestock, to the animals. I mean, it was all part of our own ecosystem. And I think that 
that is a respect or that's an idea that that doesn't get lost in a company that deals with small family farms and deals with your own family farms as well and i think that that connection as the consumer is important to remember well if i would really encourage anyone if they have access to come up and see some of our family farms because they're the most passionate hard-working people you'll find anywhere in america i mean the, the cows have to be milked every day, 365 mm-hmm. days a year, number one. And to your point, you know, when we started talking about sustainability initiatives and animal welfare, their point to us was, you know, we've been farming on this land now for four generations. How is that not sustainable? And that was like, oh, that's a really good point. <laughs> so it was more like, how do we just identify the real concrete metrics to demonstrate that sustainability? Yeah, and the animal away. welfare pieces, you know, these are our most prized and cherished um relationships with our cows if they're not healthy we don't have a livelihood right so inherently they had an incentive to to treat them well but the american humane association just kind of upped the bar some more and we were able to really give them credit for what they do day in and day out from an animal welfare perspective and that's an important part of the equation and they're all very different they're fiercely independent people um it's fascinating anytime we tackle any issue it's around you know their kitchen their dining room tables and a lot of times you'll get three generations of that dairy family in the conversation and so there are generational differences the gender differences it's just the most fascinating kind of area of my job I love it mm-hmm. but that's important because those voices need to be heard especially when you think of what happens around the consumers table as well down the line waking up in the morning you have those conversations while you're having breakfast or later on in the evening as I mentioned families uh, d- d- trust the product and they they love to have that recollection that something is going on at the beginning of the source as well and all throughout it family commitment to something like this yeah well, frankly you know our consumers we look at families supporting family I mean, they're buying from family farms and the true respect of what people would in their mind think of as a family farm where the family members are actually working on the farm. You know, the antithesis of that would be agribusiness in America where there are 20, 30, 40, 50,000 cow dairies that are professionally run. They're owned by corporate entities in some cases. You know, our folks, they have local relationships with their bankers. They rely on family participation to milk the cows, to you know all aspects of the farming operation. So it truly is a, uh, a reality that syncs with consumers' expectations in terms of what a family farm is all about. And for our part, we're just connecting the dots. I mean, we, we buy from family farms, we are a family, but we buy the milk, we put it into the packages, we make the things, and then, and then get them out to to the Bay Area here. So the cool thing about it is, you know, all the milk is produced in Sonoma, Marin County. It's bottled right here in Petaluma and it's sold locally. So mm-hmm. the relationship is vertically integrated and it's very local. And it has to be local because, you know, we only put 18 days code on our milk. So you can't ship that far. <laughs> no, you can't. Marcus, before I lose you, um, you are now the president and CEO, but you did other jobs with Clover. I think I've logged more hours as Clover the Cow than anybody, um, <laughs> which were fascinating memories. You know, the long parades where it's 100 degrees and the kids are pulling your tail. That was the, <laughs> an experience. Uh, and, yeah, I did you know, mostly all the operations here, kind of starting as you were you know hope to start maybe didn't fully appreciate it at the time but looking back <laughs> i'm glad that those awful hours you can speak with authority to any one <laughs> yeah. of those yeah, yeah i got it it's I, hot in that I costume i highly recommend it now <laughs> <laughs> marcus thanks so much for having us today
It's been a real pleasure. I'm Joel. This is Dining Around Marcus Benedetti. The company is Clover, and you can find them at cloverpetaluma.com online. Certainly, you can find them all around. They're based in Sonoma County. Uh, the, the, the cows and the farms are in Sonoma County and also in Marin County as well. So if you're here in the San Francisco Bay Area or beyond, you can find their products. And certainly, if you're visiting Sonoma from some other place in the country, well, think about a great stop along the way at one of these beautiful family farms. You can find Find out more at cloverpetaluma.com and certainly at diningaround.com. I'm Joel. Follow me on Twitter at Joel Riddell and Dining Around.